0: Bringing health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts Lori Hartwell and Stephen Firth.
1: Well, welcome to another issue of Kidney Talk. Um, today, we're going to be talking about an issue that always comes up, and it's basically how do you start a support group? And you know, I've been running a support group for several years, and I started a lot in the 90s, and uh, today we're going to kind of take a different approach and do a reverse interview, and Lori Majopian from Seattle has contacted me asking how do I start a support group, so I thought this would give us a perfect opportunity to uh, let Lori interview me, and I will uh, take the approach in telling her everything I know, so welcome to the program, Lori. Thank you. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with kidney disease?
0: Well, I um, have uh, been, di- well, I was, I guess I should say after my transplant, I am no longer diabetic, but I was diabetic for 30 years, um, starting in my teens, and of course had those periods where uh, my control was not as good, so I ended up with kidney disease, uh, In End of 2009, I found out that I would have to go on dialysis because my kidney disease had, uh, had taken a toll, I guess. And um, I started dialysis uh, December of 2009 and um, went through the whole dialysis process, which is, um, was a difficult time for me. Um, I have been very blessed and had a transplant in September of 2010 where I received a kidney and a pancreas. So I'm experiencing a whole different lifestyle because I'm no longer diabetic and no longer have kidney disease. And
1: C's candy might be on your Christmas list, right?
0: Yeah, no, I'm afraid to eat it. (laughs) 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 I've been... I haven't changed my diet much. I'm still a diabetic in my mind. So I guess that's a good thing. Yes.
1: Yeah, don't start. So I'm not
0: starting that, going down that path. Um, so in the, in the process of going through the kidney disease and the dialysis and the transplant, um, I didn't find a whole lot of support out there as far as uh, other people that were dealing with the same issues. And I just really feel like I need to make that commitment to myself and to all the people that I've met along the way uh, to start a support group and possibly help answer a lot of the questions that I really wasn't able to get answers
1: to. Support is like the critical key because, you know, we're dealing with lifestyle issues and medication side effects. And so um, when you start a support group, the first thing that I... Think is really important is a support group can be a lunch with two other patients. Um, And I always suggest when you first start, is to start small and develop that core group that can be there because it's very difficult to run a support group by yourself Um, because it's, you know, you need the backup. So when I started Renal Support Network in 1993, um, I used to have a core group of people that we always got together, and we we made friendships. And then from that, it helps me expand it. So one of the things I think people run into is if they try to start a support group just by themselves, uh, they get burned out. And um, so the first thing I would suggest is if you can find some other key people, and in the Seattle area— Uh, I know on our bulletin board kidney space, I believe there's some in the area. Maybe there's a way to help find if there are other people already involved who want to help you in this endeavor. That would be my first, you know, little tidbit just to, and maybe perhaps, you know, so you don't need funding or anything, just make up a simple flyer and say, we're meeting at Denny's for uh, lunch on Saturdays.
0: And where do you suggest uh, to distribute flyers or... Other suggestions, maybe, to get the word out. Well,
1: you know, there's a couple of different ways. Um, you can go to local transplant centers and dialysis facilities, but I always suggest starting with your healthcare team. And starting with your healthcare team because they know you. They know that you're, you know, compliant or adherent, and they trust you. So one of the problems with You know, a lot of patients, they go to the dialysis clinic and they pass out support group flyers. I feel from the the professional's perspective, they just don't know where they're sending the patients. And so they don't want to pass out the information. Uh, one of the best places if you're going to transplant clinic is to work with your social workers because they do see people on dialysis and maybe, you know, work with them to say, hey, I I really want to be a peer support. I'm a success story from your facility. And, uh, you know, I like to start a lunch on the fourth Saturday of the month and just make a commitment to be there and then have somebody with you. So, you know, if nobody shows up, you have a great lunch. (laughs) because it takes a while to build a reputation people say oh well I you know I had a support group January March and February and nobody showed up or and it's because it takes people time to learn about things and I always say don't give up before the miracle happens (laughs) you know and people start to show up so you have to have a real commitment if you want to do this um, another suggestion on helping get the word out is you have a local ESRD network, it's, uh, um, and if you go to esrdnetwork.org, you can click on the part of the country that uh, facilitates your area, and they get a lot of requests for support groups, so it's good to let them know that you are starting this, um, and, and, you know, that helps them have another way of when somebody calls in to let them know. Also, if you if your physician that you work with is in a practice, is to really ask the healthcare professionals in your little community that you're really serious about this. And then um, put a little flyer together, give them a date, give them a number that they can call you in your email. And you know what you might find is that They may give it to a patient. A patient might call you, and then they'll kind of figure out, well, who is this person that's running the support group? Then once they make that connection, then they're more likely to attend. Uh, One of the problems with support groups, and when I run a support group every month that it's really important is when you're facilitating a meeting, is that a lot of patients are coming because they need to, quite frankly, vent. They need to say, this is, you know, I don't feel good. This isn't working for me. I don't like the diet. And those are all definitely an aspect of a support group. But one of the things that's really important is that when you facilitate a meeting, that you really help that it ends on a positive note. Because if you're you know if if the meeting becomes like people are more depressed when they leave than when they came <laughs> right then people don't come back and so one of the things that i do with our support group is i open it up and um i basically say does anybody have a really serious you know question or issue that they need to bring up and a lot of times You know, they're discussing my family member wants to donate a kidney and their husband doesn't want him to donate, you know, some kind of issue going up. How do I handle it? But if nobody comes up with an issue, uh, you know, then I always try to focus the meeting. And I give an example like, um, you know, does anybody have any tips on how to speak up to a healthcare professional when you're uncomfortable? I had this situation. So you try to. Foster the dialogue to be a problem-solving type of group.
0: Do you have any special training or uh, any uh, materials and things like that to help you get started with this and how to know how to facilitate a meeting?
1: Well, we have a, a one-page handout that we um, we actually do. We just don't have it ready yet. Um, how, how I facilitate a meeting, it's not that... Difficult I can tell you what we do is we um we have a one-page document that I'd be more than happy to send you but it basically expresses kind of the rules of the meeting, that you don't cut off other people. You try to not get into certain aspects of dialogue, like, you know, religion, politics, all the things that you want to stay away from. Because, I mean, it's, it's a support group, not a, a platform for some other topic. The other thing that we really express in this one page is that um, you don't, we don't give advice. We are here to share their experience, strength, and hope. And that's one of the things professionals really frown upon about support groups is that sometimes patients and their family members say, well, you should do this. Or, you know, um, oh, I eat bananas and I'm okay. And, you know, you could eat bananas too. And what you try to express in all the participants is, how I might rephrase that, is that Um, You know, I find when I, you know, with my treatment, I'm able to be more liberal in my diet. (laughs) And maybe I can incorporate some bananas once in a while, or a banana. Um, But you really need to talk to your healthcare professional. Because, you know, we all have our unique experiences, but we're not medical professionals. And one of the things I do to close the meeting, I mean, you just basically have a conversation, is to always try to end it with, a positive thought. And when I come to the support group, I bring books and kind of lay them on the table and kind of reinforce that there's a lot of materials out there for us. And, you know, utilize those materials to, uh, if a patient has a question about, you know, how do I go about getting a transplant? um, I can say, well, you know, I went to this center, it's, you know, you have to get blood tests, you have to go through a process. But here's an article that could really help you understand the process or be familiar with a website that you can refer them to. So um, I think a lot of times people make support groups more complicated than they are with how to run them. Because in my experience, the patients that show up will tell you what they want, you just have to facilitate in the sense of not letting somebody dominate the meeting you know and and that's a real skill because it's hard to cut off sometimes in a nice way a person who's just going on and on and you really have to be mindful of the other participants so one of the techniques that I've learned, and this is because I've been going to a group called Toastmasters. I've been going to Toastmasters for almost 20 years. And I've learned it's is how to basically, it's, it's something I had to learn. You just have to practice it. But I would say, um, okay, John, um, you know, I realize you're having a really difficulty in this issue, just in the spirit of time, maybe we can speak after the meeting about this. You know, so you learn how to be diplomatic in helping that response. Um, And, uh, you know, that's one of the the best ways that I've found is, you know, not making them feel bad, but also the other participants will appreciate that leadership because you set the tone for the meeting so everybody gets a chance. When I open a meeting, um, I usually ask the people to go around because, you know, the the. The most people I've probably ever had at a support group is like 16 people. And, you know, I think, you know, if you had five or six that met regularly and then you grow, I mean, that's, you know, because patients come one time, they get the information, they don't come back. And that's why it's really important to have that core group of people to make this fun for you as well you know, because you develop these great friendships. The The next aspect, I guess, is when they do their self-introductions, um, I always have them sign in and give their email and phone number because then I have a way to help invite them to the next meeting. Right. And, uh, and then you give them a, a couple of minutes to share, like, you know, I'm on dialysis. I just started a little short introduction. Um, then we host our meetings at a local restaurant. Now, we um, have requested a private room. So, um, you know, there's a $100 charge on that. Um, and that's why I'm saying maybe it's better to start out just to say I'm meeting at Denny's and, you know, kind of at a back table at 2 o'clock on a Saturday. Because it's not that crowded and you don't have any costs involved. You just all ha- you, you just have the cost of lunch, basically. Um, and so we, we facilitate, you know, helping pay for that through, you know, we fundraise. I mean, obviously, we're a larger organization. But then we ask the patients to pay for their lunch, you know, if they can. I mean, if they can order something for lunch, they need to pay for it. Uh, but, it but to show up at the meeting is no charge. Okay.
0: okay. And then generally, how long do you or how long are your meetings? Like an hour, hour and a half?
1: We always have ours from 2 to 3, 345, something like that. Like a 2 to 4 window. But um, what happens is we start at 2, but people start arriving at 2. So there's kind of a networking aspect in the beginning. And then you, we kind of start about 2.15, and we usually go about an hour and a half. And um, as the facilitator, um, you kind of learn when it's time to wrap it up. You know, like, you know, there's, there's just a natural rhythm to the, the meeting. And then at the end, um, you can then close it with, uh, I always find affirmations or little positive sayings that I like to read to the group to just leave on a positive message. One of the other aspects that um, we have a radio show that we're on right now, Kidney Talk, and one of the ways to facilitate is to, you know, either read or some kind of article that's educational or a topic, maybe play this show, and then have people, you know, respond to it. That We have some great shows with amazing people. So it's not always easy to facilitate bringing in a speaker. But, um, you know, you can download the podcast on iTunes and then play it on your iPod. Um, and then people can listen to it and then comment. Although most people want to talk, not listen at a support group.
0: Right, yeah. And then do you, um, do you ever seek out funding for any of the projects that you're doing as far as support groups and things like that?
1: Specifically for a support group, um, I, you know, I founded the Renal Support Network. So I actually started in uh, the early 90s, just doing little things. I just did them because I felt so inspired and grateful. And it was amazing, but over the course of being established, then, you know, the nonprofit status followed and, um, you know, it just kind of evolved. But specifically for support groups, you know, it might be an opportunity to, to ask somebody to print the materials. For you like uh, you know the flyers or ask for volunteers to do certain aspects but as far as financial funding it's unless you have just somebody who wants to support it like you know you ask your doctor hey will you give me a three hundred dollars a year or something to help with costs or whatever you think it may be that might be a way that he just wants somebody wants to help but when you're not a 501c3, it's really hard because people are looking for the tax donation. So that's kind of a, a longer term goal if you wanted to have a smaller support group that raised money and went out. But it's actually probably more work to do that than just to facilitate a lunch at Denny's. And and then eventually maybe you move into a private room that may cost $100, but People help contribute at the support group. There's a great model that's been in existence for years, and it's through the AA Al-Anon groups. And AA is for alcoholics, and Al-Anon is for their family members. And they've done this quite well for years where they have, like, self-supporting through your own contributions. And I have to say that I really follow that model because they have al on meetings where people get together and share their experiences and, you know, uh, their, you know, what they do to cope with a family member having an illness. And then they basically pass the basket around at the end of the meeting. And that's how they help pay for their, their space. You know, also too, um, there's different community partners in your area That, um, you know, a hospital might have a little room they would donate, you know, you can approach a hospital. Although I will say a lot of patients don't like to go to the hospital when they don't have to. Yeah, I try to
0: stay away from it all.
1: And sometimes there's churches that have rooms or community centers in your area that would offer a, a free space to you. Although I will say the element of meeting at a restaurant takes a lot of burden off of you of bringing cookies and coffee and all the little, you know, comforts that we like when we go somewhere. One of the other elements, too, is uh, you can bring in speakers. I mean, you know, perhaps you um, ask a physician or something, say, hey, I want to hold a little group uh, you know, I want to I want to invite some people and let them know, would you be willing to speak? And use that as a way to draw some people in um, to hear a speaker. And then you, you build that core group. And Because I, I want to emphasize that I have seen people start support groups, and they're excited. And, you know, they're doing it by themselves. So even if you have a friend who doesn't have kidney disease that would commit to this with you. And, you know, that is so important to have the support for the support group leader. (laughs) And then we also have a bulletin board called Kidney Space, which is um, a a support group, but it's basically a virtual support group. And, you know, that's a way to also, uh, you know, perhaps find other people who would be willing to, you know, hey, I'm in the Seattle area, is anybody else in the Seattle area and want to help me get this started. And then you start to meet other people, because one of the problems with being transplanted is a good problem, is you're no longer in the center. <laughs> so you don't have as access to as many people with kidney disease. Um, but I will say that uh, if you go back to the center that you were at, um, maybe even ask if you would be allowed to go around and talk to the patients individually. And, you know, talk to the, to the social worker and the administrator and say, you know, and then you can go around and talk to the patients and see, you know, introduce yourself. Because people visit people or go to support groups of people, they understand kind of their energy and their, you know, I mean, you have an inspiring story. You've had a kidney pancreas transplant. I mean, half the patients on dialysis are, you know, diabetic. They might not be candidates for um, a pancreas, but, uh, you know, that in itself is an inspiring story. So that would make them feel hopeful.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, In regards to that, I mean, you know, it's just making a one-page flyer, and, uh, um, you know, we'll be more than happy to email you ours. And uh, it's just simple, and just having contact information and letting the community know that you're a resource to help give support. Uh, And it's building that credibility within your area. Um, And and I always say, you know, I'm amazed. In the early 90s, I started support groups, and then I moved on to hosting an annual patient meeting. (laughs) And then I started hosting a prom for teenagers with kidney disease. And it just kept building on itself. And, I mean, when I look back, because when I started RSN, I really felt that patients were dying of loneliness, and they felt alone. And that was my mission, that one friend can make a difference, and an illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. Those were kind of the two core messages. And it is, I mean, you feel very lonely when you have kidney disease. You feel this incredible gratitude, you know, when you get transplanted, but you also have issues when you're transplanted. Sure. (laughs) And that being able to facilitate that connection between friends or you know people of kidney disease and and what i've found over the years is that you know you come to a support group and then you meet somebody else that has kidney disease and then you find out you have other things in common and that's when the real support takes place because then you become a friend not at the support group and to be able to facilitate that type of friendship among two other patients or family members is quite amazing. And I've I've seen that over the years, that they met at the support group, and I have friends that I've met at a support group that are my dear friends today.
0: Um, Have you found that, like, social media, as far as, like, uh, Facebook and that, has
1: that helped? Well, it does, and I have to say that social media and um, bulletin boards are kind of picking up the gap because people are no longer isolated. I mean, you can basically go to the internet right now and post on Facebook on any organization's Facebook page, or you there's bulletin boards. I mean, there's I Hate Dialysis, Kidney Space. Um, There's a, a lot of different bulletin boards out right now. So people have the ability, if they have um, access to the internet is to be able to, you know, go on and post a question. Um, we also have a HopeLine, an 800 number in English and Spanish, where patients can call and talk to another patient. Uh, but one of the things I've found over the years is that when you're dealing with such a severe illness or a crisis, and that's when you really want support is when you're down in the dumps. <laughs> it's not when you're flying high, you know. You're, you're basically, uh, you know, depressed or some kind of change in your health has occurred. And uh, what happens is, is that patients don't really, or people with kidney disease, I don't want really to keep saying patients, people with kidney disease or their family members don't even know how to express what's going on with them. And so the benefit of a support group is they get to hear other patients' stories When they're there, (laughs) they get to hear your story. They get to hear my story. And then that helps them understand what to ask. Because, I mean, how many times have we been in a situation like kind of a deer in the head? Like, like, I don't even know what to ask because I don't even know what I'm feeling. I sometimes need other patients or family members to identify what I'm feeling. I I didn't even know what anger really was till somebody told me what it was. I'm like, oh, I'm angry. (laughs) You know, they had to put the, they had to tell me what my emotion was because I was so out of touch with what I was feeling.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, aware that the other, you know, your family members are there to help you and support you as much as they can. But only another kidney patient really understands where you're at.
1: Well, we're facing our mortality at different earlier ages. I mean, you know, I've been living with kidney disease since for 43 years and, uh, you know, I just had my fourth transplant um, and was on dialysis 13 years. So, I mean, this last transplant, I didn't know if I had used all my lives up. <laughs> you know, you wonder that. And it's a very frightening experience. And Your family members are there to support, but it's just hard for them to understand. And that's how one friend can make a difference, you know. And it's really powerful because uh, um, on several occasions, you know, you get a diagnosis and you don't really understand what happened or what they said. And then you call up another friend who's got the same illness, and they help you sort out (laughs) what happened and 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 what course of action would be for you know you need to take to move forward in your Navigating this, you know, horrific disease. Right,
0: and that's why I feel that the uh, a support group locally in my area would be very helpful. Well, um, a lot of questions, and it was hard to get answers to a lot of it.
1: Well, I don't think there's an actual formula, but I think the thing is, is to, um, you know, maybe write up a little bio of yours, like you know, your story and your a little bit of your background and um, then create a flyer, and then just be persistent. You know, you never know when you're going to meet the people. I mean, social media is a great way to come out. And also one other suggestion that, you know, works well is if you're starting to create a a little group, is that maybe make an activity. Like, let's all go to the movies.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's a great idea.
1: You know, or go bowling or something so, you know... You're basically doing more of a social event. And I'm sure there's, there's a Northwest Kidney Center in your area. There might be some different activities in your area where then you meet some people and like, hey, let's let's go see the new film coming out. And then you help develop that core group because that core group is so important. And, um, you know, if you definitely email us that you want to, you know, uh, I'll, I'll send you my email, personal email, and then I know some people in your area, and I'll, I'll send them an email and say, hey, uh, Lori wants to start a support group. Would you be interested in helping? And I think that's what you have to, you know, ask people. Who do you know that might want to help me? Yeah, okay. And then you just, uh, you know, it's it's a very rewarding feeling. I mean, um you know, to, to help people in their time of, you know, need and then help them on their path. So, uh, but other than that, Lori, I think I've, I've, you know, there might be other things that come up, but this isn't really rocket science. It's just being persistent and making connections, making sure the community understands that you're a credible resource and uh, and then, you know, not giving up. And, you know, eventually people start showing up and then, you know, you have a great core group of people to help you, and then you can help them. I learn so much from the people that come. Uh, they think I'm helping them, but they're helping me. <laughs> you know, they really do. It inspires me, you know, and, um, to see, you know, they come back and they get transplanted or they get through a crisis, which gives me more hope. Feel free to uh, you know, send any more questions over and um, I look forward to your first support group. Well, thank you so much for
0: all the information. It's very helpful. We can control our own destiny.
1: We can take charge of our health
0: and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today
1: and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference.